0: what is going on it is your old with 2200 tabs dude 2022 is already shaping up to be a quite a fantastic year and we're about 16 17 18 days into the year oh, crap i gotta pay my car insurance Come think of it anyways we're just like 18 days in and our guests are bringing it and this next guest i gotta tell you it's been a while since we've had a a, a pretty intense story uh so it, it Like this one that we're about to share with you guys, Uh, and here we are. And I've I've got my water ready. I've got some tissues somewhere. Um, I know we're gonna we're gonna lose it here and there, but hey, it's gonna be amazing. And there is a purpose and a mission behind this. So you guys stick with us. Make sure you subscribe hit the links. I'm going to put all the links down below if you're watching on YouTube. If not, I'm going to put the links uh, in the description on these podcasts and whatever platform that you guys listen to. And without further ado, I want to introduce my next guest. She is, and I had to write it down because I didn't want to butcher it, but she's a domestic violence advocate and resiliency speaker. Okay. Her name is Chris Barney, but here's the thing. The reason she has a huge heart and mission for this purpose is her story alone and that's why I asked her to come on today and she is uh in Louisiana so uh, some old stomping <laughs> grounds of mine and we're just super stoked to have her here with us so Chris thank you so much for being here and for you know really wanting to step into the onto this platform to share your story because this story it, heart, it, it heartbreak I can't even Heartbreak doesn't even touch what the hell the story is all about. But the your mission for why you're doing what you're doing is so special, and um, I can't wait for you to share it. So thank you for being here today.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Pam, for having me today. I'm super excited to share the story with you, and was super excited when you reached out. and um, And I'm super excited to touch the world with this story, my story. It's important. And I
0: thank you for trusting us because this story, um, I want to warn the listeners, if you have little ears around, you may want to send them outside to play. If you have children, I want you to stick with us. This is a hard story, especially if you're a parent, but one that needs to be told because there's a lot of parents out there or parental figures out there that have experienced traumatic losses such as this, if not similar, or know of somebody who has suffered a loss like this, if not similar, and we want you guys to know that you're not alone. And she is already grabbing tissue. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, uh, I know, I know, I know. But, um, yeah, so I, I, I asked uh, Chris Barney to come on. her. Uh, yeah, I'm not even going to waste any time. Let's, get, let's dive right into it. So, Chris, you have, uh, like I said, you're in Louisiana. And the reason I say Louisiana mo- more specifically is because there's mm-hmm. a reason for that. So let's backtrack a little bit. If you could tell uh, my listeners just a little bit about who you are and okay. you yes. know why you have this mission, but most, most importantly, we're going to get into your story very soon.
1: So if you can give my listeners a little okay. background about you, the floor is yours. Right. Well, I am a domestic violence advocate and resiliency speaker here in Reston, Louisiana. I grew up in Shreveport, and in 1993, I married a Bossier City firefighter paramedic and um, tragic story. Um, we'll start that story soon. Um, and, and now I'm an advocate uh, doing my dream job in Ruston as the community advocate. And I've, I've take, it's taken some years to get to where I am, but there's always a plan. And I am so happy to be able to share my story and to help other women and children who are in crisis. So my background is my husband is retired military my i call him my new and improved husband um retired air force after 27 years we traveled the world for about 7 years and then moved back to the states and then in 2019 we moved back to louisiana right on so,
0: and you have uh, you have your husband you've got a a few kids that are older yes i have yes
1: i have Tanner, who is um, a senior at at Montana State University in Bozeman, and my daughter Emma is 19, and she's at Louisiana Tech and working, so we are, we are a little family. (laughs) I love
0: it. Yeah. Well, you know, we, uh, when I heard your story, it's about your little girl, your little Mm -hmm. girl Miranda. Mm
1: -hmm, Miranda.
0: Miranda, and uh, she was three years old, correct, when she passed away?
1: Yes, she okay. was. She was just four days shy of her fourth birthday. Which just passed. Literally. Like yeah, so her, ago. her, yeah, her birthday's on January 16th, and she was killed on January 12th. So, as you know, as talking, January is a horrible month for me. And this past week has been, is always an emotional, uh, emotional week for, for me and my family. So, but yeah. again, we make, I made it through and it's time to. Get up and live another
0: day. I love that. It's a choice yeah. to get up and live another day. It's a choice. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you're choosing to do that. Um, yes. So let's dive right in. So what? What? First of all, this is Stalker Awareness Month, which you are a huge advocate about. So I'm yes, going to so start. And this is January 2022. So if you guys are listening to this down the road, this is our timestamp. Um. There's a reason for that and we're going to dive in right now. So what, what happened, what, what were the events leading up to Miranda's Miranda's death? And what I really want to touch on is how you've been able to turn this tragedy into something special.
1: Well, do you want me to start with us uh, the stalking or from the very beginning? Okay. very
0: beginning. I feel like there's two parts okay. to this story that people can benefit from if that's cool.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, at, uh... In 1993, I married Charles. His name was Charles Sally Jr. And in 1995, we had Miranda. And, you know, just like any any new marriage, or I was 23 at the time when, I, when we got married. So I was very young because people like to ask me, well, didn't you see any red flags? And at 23, you're in love. You don't see, you don't recognize red flags, especially if you haven't been educated on domestic violence. And so he was absolutely beautiful. He was charming. He had the most gorgeous blue eyes and the curliest black hair. He was just very, very, I was extremely taken with him. And and he knew exactly how to to draw me in. And so I fell in love. And after two years, we got married. And it's so, when I think back on it now, looking back, it was so, it was so, almost rehearsed like he knew what he was doing, he knew the end results. And um and basically he we as soon as we got it, it, I can tell you as soon as I signed that marriage certificate, he totally changed. He completely did a you know a, a 180, 360, I don't know, but it was horrible. And I knew within six months after marrying him that I had made a grave mistake. And, and and the kicker to this whole story, and that I want people to understand, is that domestic violence just isn't physical abuse. It He never physically abused me, ever. But it was the mental and verbal and emotional abuse and financial abuse that started right after we got home from the honeymoon. And I'll never forget thinking, oh, my God, because once we got married... One of the things that Charles and I used to do, that we love to do, is we used to dance all the time. We used to country and Western dance. You know, back in the 90s, we danced competitions, and we took lessons, and we were good. We were good, and we loved that. And then, you know, after you date for a couple of years, and you get married, and you kind of slow down into the family life, and that never happened with him. He continued to go out, but then he wanted to go out without me and to dance and all of these things. And so that's really kind of where it started. Mm-hmm. Where i noticed that something was up well anyway we we so we we argued we we fought i knew he was cheating i just couldn't prove it and um and then we even discussed having a baby and i got off birth control and we discussed starting our own little family because The other thing that made me fall in love with Charles is that he had a little boy. He was two from a previous relationship. And my God, I loved that kid. He was precious. And, and I, and I, but I love kids and I knew I always wanted to be a mom. So we discussed having our own baby and he never seemed to have a problem with it. And so I got off birth control and it didn't take very long. And I was pregnant with Miranda and i'll I gotta share the story with you because I'll never forget telling him he had that was a weekend, and we had his little boy, and I was taking him to the swimming pool and it was because Charles was working, and he had gone to work, and I just didn't feel right, so I went and bought pregnancy tests and he came home and well actually he came home and said i'm I'm going out tonight, and I was like, you know okay, you no." Know, whatever, because I had his little boy, I can say his name, his name is Derek, because Derek's no longer living either. And, um, so I had Derek and Charles went out and when Derek went to sleep, I took the pregnancy test and it was, and it was positive. I just knew it. No, I just knew it. I could feel it in my body. And so when I stayed up half the night waiting for Charles to get home, so I could tell him the good news that we were going to have a baby. And I'll never forget him walking in and taking off his hat and his boots and unloading his pockets. And I, and I told him, I said, I've got some great news. You know, we're, we're going to have, we're going to have a baby. And he, the look on his face was sheer disappointment. Like, Oh my God, not again, really. And I, I, and, and to me, it was just like, this is a shocker. He's, he'll, he'll come around and maybe tomorrow he'll, he'll feel okay about it. And But I was surprised. I was like, well, we, we, tried, we tried for her, for this baby. So anyway, it, it turned out to be a little bit of a nightmare. And then slowly you know, he came around and, and then all of a sudden it was this great and wonderful thing. And then just like normal life carries on, we have baby showers, we tell our we've told our family and and everything is, is great. But was it on the inside? um, On the inside, though, inside behind closed doors? It wasn't great. It wasn't great at all. So let me ask
0: you this real quick. Um, All that before you got pregnant, you knew that you weren't this wasn't a good marriage. This wasn't a good fit before you got pregnant.
1: After Is I married one? him. Yeah. So after okay. I married him, here's the thing. It, I, am, I love people and I, am, I love to save people. I love to try. I, my parents would get so aggravated with me because as a child, when I would walk around the neighborhood or, and I came across a stray cat, dog, anything, I was always bringing them home. Mm -hmm. and so because i just had that much love to give so in my mind even though i didn't know that i was in danger i all i knew was that i i could love him enough to change him now let me tell you some of the red flags that did that i learned later charles had an agenda when he met me and my family and that is he knew that he had this little boy he was also trying to get sole custody of my family had a little bit more education and money and background than his family ever had. And so he saw us kind of like a, like a money tree. And um, he knew how to manipulate us into believing that he was, you know, a victim. Let me just say that a victim. And so I, I, Charles swooned me. Within two weeks, he was in love with me. And within you know a month, he was ready to get married and, and all of these things. And that, those are big red flags. So, so showering me with gifts, um, you know, wanting to buy me a car and all of these things. And but it, there was a plan. I come to find out later after our divorce was final, there was a plan behind everything that he did.
0: So back to my question, right? In those f- <laughs> those few months, I'm gonna rein you in, like you asked, right? Let's let's, Thank you. let's do Thank this. You. Um yes. And it's not to put you on blast. It's it's none of that. It's just it's just a question, right? It's
1: sure.
0: I'm when open. you got when you got married and you said you got married, the red flags were there, and you knew something wasn't right, but you disregarded it, right? Because they now, yeah. Uh, because you and, and you just said it right you you like to rescue pets yeah and people it sounds like yeah. which anybody that needs
1: me yes yeah
0: so and I get that because I've done the same thing I've done the same shit so to speak it's uh-huh. like well they need me they need me I'm gonna help them I'm gonna rescue them man got me in a world of trouble we won't go there That's for another time uh-huh. but um, I could see why you would ignore the red flags. I could see why you did that. Whether it was intentional or not, I could totally see that, you know. And there's a lot of people out there like that, and there's nothing wrong with that. However, in due time, it bites us in the ass. So we have to be willing to look at that, right? But had you not done that, you wouldn't have had Miranda. You wouldn't have gotten Absolutely. pregnant. So you had, you got pregnant, and it sounded from what you just said, that like he didn't even want the baby, we not know, at first. Not at first. That's heartbreaking, and yeah. i i can I can get that on a certain level because my dad didn't want me either. Yeah, you know. Again, yeah. That's for another day, and honestly, it's already on the podcast. So if you want to hear it, go to that episode.
1: I've already heard
0: it. <laughs> yes. Amazing story, Pam. It's oh my god, cr- it's crazy. Um, yeah, but I will say, you know, I feel like I feel like that right there, that little. That, that pocket of you meeting him, getting married before she, you got even pregnant was the foundation for what's, what what ultimately happened to Miranda and to him. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's not to, you know, tell people, oh, my God, don't get in these relationships or, oh, my God, don't do – it's not to do that. But thank you for highlighting that because there's a lot of missed flags that we all don't recognize. Um. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to come back Especially to that.
1: Especially at a young age.
0: Yeah. You're 23. I mean, we, when we're eight, when we're 16, we've, we got it figured out. Right. (laughs) Or when we're 10. Right. Uh, Uh No. So thank you for highlighting that. That's why I wanted to come back. Um, Uh But so you get pregnant with Miranda. You have Miranda. Yes. What was that like when you actually had her with you?
1: That, well, the day of her birth was the best day of my life more than anything in this world. I wanted to be a mom and I knew that I could be a good mom. And if there was anything in the world that I knew I could do very well, it was to be a mom. And, and it's so amazing when you, you you've grown this little human in your tummy and you've created this something so beautiful and so healthy. She was seven pounds, six ounces, 21 inches long of just this big little ball of, healthy, strong baby. And I, and I instantly fell in love. I love, I instantly, it's like no one else in the world mattered but her, (laughs) you know, there's nothing quite like it, like giving birth and knowing that you made this, um, this beautiful human being. And so I was completely smitten Hmm. with her and, um, she was my everything. She was the one thing that kept me sane, sane through some very, very tough times with Charles because, you know, during my, my last month of pregnancy, I know he was out doing things he shouldn't have been doing, drinking too. That's another thing that mm-hmm. he was great at. And um, it says if the pregnancy progressed it as the pregnancy progressed, it the burden of having another child and was almost too much for him to handle. But, you know, the thing is, is that why didn't he just say, I don't, I can't handle this. I want to leave. But it wasn't really about that. With him, it's about power and control. And he knew that he could use Miranda in a way to get exactly what he wanted. It's not that he loved her, but he knew how to use her.
0: So let's fast forward a little bit. You've got okay. Miranda, you're married. What led up to the to the stalking and that <clears throat> those events and guys were getting we're getting really close to what happened to Miranda, but I really want to hit on this because this is important.
1: Yes. So, let me tell you. So, I when I there was a, there was a time that we ha- that we had gone to um, Oklahoma for a firefighter softball tournament and that that weekend I knew was when I needed to leave, I knew that I could not be with this guy anymore. And it, he was embarrassing. He was, he treated me off so awful in front of other people. And I already had some self-esteem issues. I already didn't feel like I fit in with the, the firefighters wives and all that stuff. And so I just could not wait to get out, but on the way home from that trip, we drove. And I, that's when I told him that it's over. I cannot do this with you anymore. And then all of a sudden he was A changed man he was he he loved me and he was he was gonna change and and I followed through with my promise of I'm getting we're divorcing I'm I'm done with you and that is really when he just lost his ever-loving mind because it wasn't until I asked him to leave because the house we owned was my home I bought that house myself and when I told him to leave the house and to get out of my life, that is when, that's where the, the, the ugly really starts. Mm-hmm. That's when the stalking started. And Pam, my God, it took me two years to finally convince people that I was in danger and that Miranda was in danger. And to, to actually get him arrest, arrested. Arrested. Um, and convicted of stalking. Now, was was um, this in Bossier, uh Parish? No, actually, it was in Shreveport. Oh, he was Shreveport. a Bosher City firefighter. We okay. lived in Shreveport. Okay. He um, then he after we split up, he moved back in with his parents. Mm. He lived in Shreveport, and then eventually, when he met someone else and moved in with her, that was in Bosher City
0: got it okay so the reason i brought that up is because what we were talking right before we started about my my amazing friend amy who is right now in the hospital getting over covid battling all that nastiness so mad Burst. lifting her up in prayers and stuff um she's a little fighter though so i'm sure she'll be okay but we're definitely concerned and yeah i'm check on uh-huh. her later but amy we love you um amy's story you were able to listen to it before this which, guys, her story is like – I think it's like the fourth or fifth episode ever that we've done. So it's back in season one when we had seasons. Her story is intense, man. But the reason I'm tying this to you is because you heard it. Uh, Amy, what happened to her – you guys are going to have to go listen to her episode to figure out – find out what happened. But I will say everything that happened to her happened in Bossier City. Uh, yes, or and what happened it. to Miranda. And what and- happened to Miranda. Amy – had a run-in where she had to file, you know, she had to call the cops and they were there for an hour for what's going on, he's stalking you, this, that, he's, for an hour. And you said that that was something different than what you experienced in the same area. Yes. So that's well, all let the reason me, I'm let tying me, that back together.
1: Yeah. Okay, let me kind of go into that. So i I spent months and months of calling police and filing police reports. Mm-hmm. I spent, uh, in order to just get Charles convicted or, or even arrested, or for even a judge to look at the information, I spent months documenting my entire life. And then my parents hired a private investigator, they hired an answering service for me because I could not keep a, a, a record by myself of all of the constant phone calls at home and at work. Mm-hmm. And so I have this huge binder of of all the evidence that I had to present because the burden of proof is always put on the victim, right, to prove that she's in danger and that her her child is in danger. And so I did everything that was asked of me to to present to the judge and to my for my attorneys to present. And I got I've, I had enough evidence to have him arrested. And he was actually this is this is. This is what kills me. This is a great part of the story. And I want to share it because it's important. Charles was, was supposed to show up for a bench warrant out for his arrest. He did not show up, but the, the police actually as a courtesy called him at work and said, you know, Mr. Sally, we, you know, there's a warrant out for your arrest for stalking. We need you to come in and turn yourself in. You know, we don't want to embarrass you in front of your coworkers, but, you know, come on in and, and we'll have you out of here by end of business today. Cause he
0: was a firefighter.
1: He was a firefighter. Right. Yeah. Firefighter, paramedic. And he's like, yeah, sure. No, no problem. And he went in and they did all they needed to do to book him. He bailed out. Of course, his dad was his primary um, enabler. And, um, Within an hour of being released from jail, he was right back outside of my house, sitting in, in, in on the street. I stood in my driveway and watched him drive around the corner and park right in front of my house, as if to say, you can't touch me. Nobody, nothing's going to happen to me. You keep doing all of these things. You keep calling the police. <clears throat> They're not going to do anything.
0: So it took you two years just to get to that level. To get him arrested, to, to provide enough. Yeah, so it's a, a two-year audit of your life, which sounds really crappy to say, but a two-year audit of your life mm-hmm. just to prove that this was happening and that you and your daughter are in danger. That's
1: right. And, and this- let's not forget the enormous expense. My parents forked out a shit ton of money mm-hmm. to for the attorneys, for the private investigator, for all of these things. And then to have him get arrested, convicted, and then his sentencing drops. Yeah. It's, it's and then, broken. Yeah. I mean, and then they granted him joint custody. I, I can tell you're still oh, pissed. It's, it's, <laughs> you know, I, if you can't I hear it, that, I just can't, I can't help it because I tried so hard to get people to help me and to help her. And, and I needed, I needed help. Please just listen to me. And, And then I went, and let me tell you something, I was, I only had three days off of work to bury my child and then go, and then have to go to work. And my husband was, I think he he was a, my now husband, Yeah, was a staff, we had only been married for three weeks when Miranda was killed. Okay. You want to talk about throwing life at you. Um, And so he was just a, he was just a staff sergeant and. And they allowed him two weeks to come to work with me just to make it through each day. They were like, Sergeant Barney, you go be with your wife and sit with her until I could make it on my own. I mean, I was a walking zombie. Like, I wanted to, Pam, I didn't want to live. I didn't want to (laughs) live. Can I ask you something?
0: When you're getting fired up, rightfully so. (laughs) What was hitting you? What? What was hitting you emotionally? What, what was that one? Because you were you right now, if you can't see this podcast, I hope you could hear it because I'm watching you on this on, on right now and you're getting fired up. But I, I could see something is hitting you as well. And I just I just I don't want to overlook. Uh, that. You know,
1: I think what what hits me the hardest is that I tried so hard and I just I think I'm. I'm angry and I'm super sad after all of these years that okay. why couldn't why couldn't someone see the value in her life? Maybe not mine, but in her sweet little life. You know, there were people who could have stood up for her, people that he worked with. The the the, the City Police Department. Okay. They could have they could have valued her and done the right thing. I think that's what hurts me the most is just They didn't do the right thing by or the judges. And I'm not here to bash the system. I am in a way, but I'm not. But
0: no, and we don't want to do that. And for my listeners, this is not a bashing session. And I keep telling you that this is very much her story and what she experienced um, and I will stop you if it gets that crazy, if it's like, well, blah, blah, blah. It's like, cause that's not what it's about. Right. But that's, no, do you, you know, this is, this is important. And I, I don't want to overlook this moment because there's something hitting you and I almost, something's just leading me to ask, how alone did you feel? Like, did you feel like her life mattered to anybody at that point?
1: Her life only mattered to me and my family. It didn't matter to people in the system, it didn't matter to her other grandparents. That's another thing that is so incredibly hurtful. How can you allow your son to do these things to your precious grandbaby? Innocent in and in, in all of it. How could you allow him to to do to do these things, not just to me, but to her? <clears throat> and that's that's another Thing. That's another issue I have. Yeah, well, there's but, a lot um, of
0: pain there, and we can we can hear that, and I can see that, and if somebody if yes. you're watching on YouTube, you can see that as well. And this is very, if you were to just for any parent, I would imagine if you just close your eyes and you you ask the parent what was what was your kiddo's name, and you say their name, you could see them right in front of you. You know, and it's not easy, especially when they're not here anymore, and. I, oh. what I want to do is honor her and you're, 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 you're angry, you're hurt, and I'm not going to overlook that. And we're going to go through this together because that's what it's about. And this is raw and unfiltered. So thank you. Raw for, and unfiltered. Thank that's you. That's what you asked for. You're getting yeah. it, girl. Well, I'm also <laughs> not going to go shallow either we're gonna go deep and thank you for doing that with me because uh, that means a lot that you're trusting us with your story and this your your feelings and your emotions around this because it's very real because it happened Um, yeah it's no i thank you for that what i want to do too is um you know there's a lot of work that still needs to be done and there's always going to be work that needs to be done that's just that's a given but you started hitting on it Like, how could you allow your son to do this? How could you, you know what I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. let's get right to it. Let's get right, let's get right to it. Okay, we're going to go through this together. And with my listeners, we're all going to go through this together. But like I said, if you have little ones in the car or in the room, you may want to get them out of here because this is not easy. Right. So what happened to Miranda?
1: Well, let me, let me just preface that with, you know, he had, he, the only time I felt any relief from him was when he met somebody else and he met, um, this beautiful woman, Michelle Riley at the, the hospital. It used to be the summit hospital in Bossier city. And he met her through his job, of course, because she was a therapist there and, and they met and I felt some sort of relief. Like he was finally leaving me alone. Mm-hmm. Well, after about eight months, I noticed some changes in his behavior. He was becoming obsessive again. He's not himself. And he finally revealed to me that Michelle had decided to leave him. Now, mind you, he had moved in with Michelle because Michelle was a um, a physical therapist. She had two preteen daughters. Well, they were 13 and 15 at the time. And she owned her own home and she had an amazing career. And he was... Obsessive, He was wanting to control her life, her money, um, wanted to get married instantly. It, she just knew she was also trying to escape the same abuser. And when she told him to move out, everyone's world changed because she had also called the cops so many times. She had countless reports. She had restraining orders. Everything that she needed to do, she did. She did it right. And I want to share this real quick story because this is also important. And then I'll go into what happened. The weekend before Miranda died, Michelle had, was, she was going outside of her home at night and she was getting into her car, her and her daughter. And Charles had been also stalking her and had been hiding on the edge of her house at night and when she came out of her house he he attacked her basically and would not let her into the car she was trying to leave she was screaming she was upset and he was holding her around her waist and when he let her go her daughter drove they got in the car and drove to a neighbor's house and she called the police she did everything right she called the police the police came Mind you, Charles had an active restraining order against him. And that police officer did not arrest him. And Charles, she even said, he's sitting right down there in in his truck. And I have all of this in my paperwork. He's sitting right down there in his truck. That's him. But the paperwork says that she did not want him to lose his job. Please don't arrest him. Well, having a restraining order, the cop was supposed to arrest him regardless of what she wanted. And he did not. So that was a Saturday on Tuesday. now Here we go. Here we go. We're going to, we're going to get into it. And so I had, I had left town on Sunday afternoon to go to a business meeting. I had actually gotten my, deputy assessor's certification. And it was our pending ceremony. It was a huge deal for me because I was making a better life for myself. I got my education and for Miranda and I just remarried. And this is a big deal. It took me seven, six years to get this certification and go to school and between raising a child and work and all that. And so I, I was forced to leave Miranda with Charles. Now people are going to say, You didn't have to. Yes, I did. I didn't have a choice. She, I was ordered to let him have her. So I remember calling and talking to her Monday night because my plan was to talk to her um, every night before bed to see how her day was and to tell her that I love her. And Tuesday, I called around five o'clock 5 5.30, because I knew Charles and Miranda were supposed to be home, getting ready for supper and for bed and everything. And so I called and Charles's dad answered the phone. and He said, you know, I, I don't know where they are. They're not home. They're not here. And I said, okay, well, I'll call back in an hour. I'll call back in an hour. And he's like, okay. And at that particular moment, I thought I just instantly got this sick feeling like just complete feeling of dread and fear and so uh, an hour later I called back and Charles's dad answered the phone again and then he immediately passed the phone to a police officer and the police officer was not understanding who I was Uh, I said, well, who are you and why are you there? I'm calling to talk to my daughter, Miranda. Well, who are you? I am Miranda's mother. What's going on? And then he said, ma'am, I'm going to have to call you back. Turns out, Charles had picked Miranda up from school, from her nursery school that day went home and exchanged vehicles with his dad because he was back living with his parents. Changed vehicles with his dad, drove to the hospital where Michelle worked. And instead of parking where he would normally park, he parked on the other side of the hospital so that no one would recognize him or see him coming or, or what have you. And so he knew exactly when Michelle was getting off of work and she, he meets her in the parking lot. She's coming out of, the, out of the hospital, surrounded by her friends and her coworkers. And he, he meets her in the parking lot and he says, you know, I, please talk to me. I, we need to talk. I just need three minutes of your time. I just really, I'm, I love you and I want you back. And, and she's like, no, absolutely not. You are not supposed to be here. And if you don't leave, I am calling the cops. Well, it was at that 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 time that he pulled out a gun out of his coat pocket and uh, shot her three times, point blank in the face. And Michelle died instantly. And then, as you can imagine, her friends and her coworkers are. Freaking out! they the parking lot's full of people, and they're running, and they're hiding under cars, and they're 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 terrified. It's this is a terrorist situation, and he ever so calmly drags her body to a median, there's a grassy median there, and he lays her out. And then he walks over to the vehicle where he left my sweet child sitting, alone. and he out of the vehicle and he walks her he carries her over to Michelle's dead body and according to the witnesses there's witness statements and Michelle's friends they're he's holding Miranda in his lap and he's talking to her he's loving on her and he's talking to her and then he, he shoots her he shoots her in her tiny little head And then he turns her over and shoots her again. By this time, you know, the police are called. There's sirens. The whole city of Bossier is going crazy. And then he takes Miranda's precious little body and he lays her out next to Michelle's dead body. And as if there wasn't enough damage, he pulls out a hunting knife. A gift from his father, and he brutally stabs and slices Michelle, Michelle's body, just over and over and over. He's stabbing her, and he's and that's rage. We know that that's rage. And then, you know, the police have shown up. The ambulance is there, but they can't. They can't get to the victims because the parking lot the area is not safe it's not safe for them because Charles is wandering around the parking lot with his gun and ironically you know he pulls he puts the gun in his mouth and he pulls the trigger but there are no bullets and he, he knew that he planned that he knew exactly what bullets he needed to put in the gun because he left behind a suicide tape as well and so he He's wandering the parking lot, and police are begging him, begging him to put his, his gun down, and he will not do it. And so he pointed it at the same police officer that was supposed to have arrested him that Saturday. Are you serious? I'm serious. And you know what, Pam? I just recently found all this out because I tried to contact the police officer because I wanted him to talk to me. And, there's a level of comfort that I wanted to make sure he was okay. Cause it's been several years, but he never recovered from that. Cause he ended up having to kill Charles and he never recovered from that trauma. Like he will probably forever blame himself for all of it. Cause he should have arrested him that night. And, and so he was the one that had to take Charles out and, and so it so after Charles was down, I do know this. He lived for about 10 minutes while the paramedics were able to work on Miranda and Michelle. Of course, they were already gone. Miranda died instantly. Um so did Michelle. And um and then while they were working the scene, you know, Charles finally died, but he basically committed suicide by cop. Mm-hmm. And um, then that was his plan. He knew good and damn well he, he didn't have enough bullets for himself. He was too much of a coward to, to kill himself. And and also the plan was was had he knew that had he committed suicide, he would his parents, his family, who he tried to get changed the beneficiary on his life insurance policies.
0: They wouldn't get the money.
1: Wouldn't get, they wouldn't get the money but they didn't get the money anyway because you have to wait 72 hours for the process and he didn't And so they got nothing. And oh so um, he
0: switched over the beneficiary within 72 hours
1: right of after, him. yeah like right before he killed them the That's day crazy. before he switched over beneficiaries because I didn't know that um, he didn't want me because I was listed as the beneficiary all of the time which was very surprising. And it wasn't until I was contacted that, that I was still the beneficiary. And so me and his, his little boy, his son, mm-hmm. Derek, who was 10 at the time of Miranda's murder. And um, so, yeah, it, they, because he didn't wait long enough, I was still considered the beneficiary.
0: Wow. And so <clears throat>
1: his parents got nothing so so go ahead so the i was so the police officer who was talking to me on the phone that night thought michelle was miranda's mother so i understand the confusion there because they were all confused and so that was i i made my initial phone call at 5 30 in the afternoon But I did not get official word that Miranda was dead until 9 p.m. And the Bossier City chaplain called to tell me that she was gone. And I did not have any details. And let me tell you something. Sharif Court is six hours from New Orleans. And I was in New Orleans at the time. And that drive home was the worst six hours of my entire life. And my husband, Jeff, and I, I mean, we didn't even know. I don't even remember getting home. I just remember my parents being there and my brother and my friends and family was by the time I made it home, it was like six in the morning. And, um, it was awful. Just, I didn't, I just collapsed into my mother's arms. And I was just like, we we told everybody this was going to happen. We knew this was going to happen. Why why did nobody listen to us and listen to me? And, you know, just trying so hard, you know, it's just so exhausting. And if you've ever been a victim of domestic violence and you're having to prove you're, you're, you're in danger, it's for years, it's just, it just wears you down, wears you out. And the moment you, the moment you, Exhale and think you're going to be okay. And all of a sudden it isn't. It's, I don't know. I honestly don't know how I survived. I just, Mm. all I know Mm. is that there's something about me. I have a bit of a temper. I mean, I, I just knew that I was not going to allow Charles to ever touch my life the way he did. And he certainly was not going to have the last word and I wasn't going to allow it. And I swore the day I laid Miranda in the ground, I was standing in my grandmother's doorway, surrounded by my family. And and I said, I am going to have the last word. I am going to share this story for the rest, as long as I have a breath left in me, because of the injustices and the people that didn't listen, I was not going to let Charles, I wasn't going to allow him to win. Because this, on his suicide tape, on this tape that he left, his purpose for killing Miranda was strictly revenge. He hated my mother because my mother was such a, she is such a huge supporter and, and that's one of the things that I had that a lot of women don't have. And that's his great support system. And he hated my mother. And my mother was fiercely protective of us. And he told, he said on the tape that he's, he's killing Miranda because he hated her. He hated me. And the reason why he killed, he's killing Michelle is because he can't have her. And then no one's going to have her. That was on the tape. He also, huh? That was on the tape. Yeah, that's on the tape. That was on the tape. And he also tried to get his little boy. He had driven to Monroe because that's where his little boy lived and, they, and was going to get him from school and they would not allow him to take him because he didn't have permission to take him that day. or He would have killed him as well. So I just decided I'm not going to allow him to do this. He's not going to destroy our lives anymore. And, yet I did, I, and, and so I decided I was going to start fighting. It's going to start speaking out. But That's another thing is that silence is deadly. And I knew that if I continue to stay silent and not speak out and hold people accountable for not listening, then she died for nothing. She died for nothing. And I was I just swore I was not going to allow that to happen. And so my family and I, we we literally went on a crusade. We went on a crusade and we printed magazines. We put up billboards. Um, We went crazy trying to bring more awareness to domestic violence. Now, let me tell you, I want to remind the listeners too, that this happened in 1999. And this past January 12th, May 23 years that this happened. And Louisiana has always ranked number two, one in the nation for domestic homicide. And so just recently, we finally have made it to number five in the nation for domestic homicide. And that tells me that we are improving. We are, we are trying to do better. So that's that's what I do. I advocate and I speak about the story so that law enforcement and judges and attorney and advocates and social workers will take the victim seriously and listen to their story and and just do the right thing. You know, Charles was a member of the brotherhood. Let's just say that. You know, firefighters and police officers they're tight. They're tight and they we got each other's backs, and man, I understand that. I get it. I understand. But when you protect those that you know are doing wrong, there's a problem.
0: Well, not problem all not that. all first responders are good people. I might catch some heat for that, but I know firsthand. Same with same with veterans. I mean, there's some not so good veterans. First You're responders. absolutely right. Uh, yep. And there are good ones, and I will tell you this right now that um, I saw this on a commercial. There was a first responder; he was paralyzed. He got shot on the job, and he he said something something along the lines. I'm paraphrase like, you know, if if we could give first responders a safe place to work on their shit, mental health, maybe they wouldn't show up sideways with the public. And that like was a light bulb bloop because I grew up my stepdad. Chief, former chief of police. I grew up, they were training me to be, yeah. I, I get it. You know, I've been first responders. I get this shit. I yeah. get the game. I get protecting your brother and your sister. I get it. But at the end of the day, there's some, there's some bad apples. And, you know, sometimes as first responders, it is hard to turn in your own people. It is hard to, mm-hmm. and that's why it's like he got the courtesy. I get that. It is, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it sucks, dude. It sucks.
1: Sometimes you just got to yeah, rip the I bandage mean it, off, you know? It, yeah, well, exactly. And, you know, it's, here's this, here's, here's what I've learned over the past couple of years of moving back to Louisiana is that there are people, there are men out there who support me and stand against domestic violence. And they're not afraid to mm-hmm. stand up and say, this is wrong and you're not going to, you're not going to do this. And, and Chris, I support you. And, and what can I do to help you? Right. And that's, I mean, and that's great. And, and I, and I deeply appreciate those men and those are men in law enforcement. Um, you know, I think, I think one of the things that hurts, that hurts me the most Pam, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to share this with you because it is hurtful even to this day. My mother used to say, what are you looking for? whatever it is that you're looking for, you're not going to find it. You're not going to get that apology. You're not going to get that acknowledgement and you need to just let it go. Well, I couldn't let it go. And I think that's why I harbored so much anger and resentment because at Miranda's funeral, the back half of that big old church was a sea of blue. Police officers and firefighters, we even had a a police escort but the people who were deeply involved in the investigation and in, in the case and everything, nobody, nobody came to me. Nobody reached out to me and said, not even, I'm sorry, fine. you don't want to apologize, because that would be, that would be admitting that something happened, but just to say, Hey, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that this happened. And, and I would love to talk with you or, or, let me hug you or anything, nothing, nothing. And, and I've even tried to speak with a couple of the guys that were there that night. And, and this is what I get. I'm really sorry. I'm not going to speak with you about this. I and mean, that was a very traumatic time for us. And I'm like, for you, for you, <laughs> You know, and I'm not asking for them to do any admission. I'm just saying I just, sometimes I just want talk to me about that night. Tell me, tell me what you witnessed, tell me what you saw and or or what have you. And they're not going to do it. No. And, and I hate to say
0: that to you. I hate to say that to you because I've been on that side where the family came to us wanting answers. And the first thing my chief said is y'all go freaking hide in a different building. Because let me tell you, when you make that connection with the family, it's not good. It's not good. And it's not a dig at the family by any means. There's a reason why the chaplain called you to tell you. There's a reason why certain people are trained to do certain things. And there's a reason why some people are not. And it's not to, it's not to say that they're justified in why they won't talk to you. Unfortunately, it's just you just don't talk to family. Some of the ones that really want to help family get closure, they will. And I, I, right. and from experience, when I lost, when we lost those two men on my case, I reached yeah. out to the mom years later. Yeah, and I heard. She, I, re-
1: I listened to the whole story. It's amazing. And she'll check
0: in on me every now and then. And I'm like, oh. and selfishly, I it was like my way of getting some kind of closure. Right. But I, yeah. I struggled with that for years. I'm like, should I or should I not? you know cuz yeah. the chief says don't do it you don't freaking do it but i wanted her to know like she's not alone and lo- that's the kind of people right. that we are like i said i used right. to rescue people right figuratively yep. and and literally Yeah. And i get that but sometimes it's like when we're searching for those answers we're not going to get them so how do
1: we well, you how know, do we get those how do we get
0: that closure
1: right well, you know, one of the reasons why I reached out to to that particular officer um, was because I wanted, first of all, I wanted to, to let him know that my heart was with him and that I'm not angry um, and that he, I think he also, if I remember correctly, through the grapevine, he's, he retired and then, or he quit as a police officer but he was also an advocate he's a big advocate for other police officers who have suffered trauma mm-hmm. so he was he's an advocate as well and that's I just awesome. was so hoping that he and I could be friends and collaborate and I don't know that's just my big that's just the wishful thinking and, and and I know that that's not yeah. possible and he's not in a, at a place apparently where he is um where he wants to to face me or to talk to me or, or anything, and but is, he, I got my message to him.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And he knows, and that's, I'm going to leave it at that because I'm also loving and compassionate enough to know that he's got his own shits. They all do. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, I'm going to leave him. I'm yeah. going to leave it to him. And, and he knows how to find me in case he ever feels, um, safe enough
0: to speak with me yeah i mean who knows miranda's is just one of many stories that he's potentially seen or dealt with i mean it's not it's just i don't want to think about it you know um Uh and it's not it it took me a while to figure out like don't take it personal right and it's it's easier said than done for some of us right here yeah uh it is however (laughs) but once i realized like it's nothing personal it took me a, a little while, but ever since then, I'm like, eh, fuck it. Like, they're not ready. They're not ready. Right. And that's
1: okay. Right. It's. I, yeah. And it is. It's, it's okay. And I've had to accept that. I've had to accept. Because, you know, I'm not going to lie. If you could be a fly on the wall in my house and my poor husband, me stomping around, you know, acting like a child saying, why won't they talk to me? It's been 23 years and I don't understand. And, and being military, being prior military, and then the chief position, he. Sits me down and he's like, "I need, I need to talk about this." And and I and I understand it. I do, um, and then I don't, and then I do, and then I. Well, I'm okay, then may, I'm okay with it. May I ask you a question?
0: Sure. What are you, what what are you hoping to get out? Like, let's say they do talk to you. What are you hoping to get out of that? What do you want out of that conversation?
1: I think. I want to share my grief with him, and him with me.
0: Okay, so that's um, what's what's hitting you right
1: now. You know, I well, that? you know, it's just got you know. After a while, when you put your own feelings aside and your own sadness and yeah. your own grief aside, and you're you're able to see clearly, after a while, you just you. For me, it it hit home. <laughs> that, Chris, you're not the only one who suffered that day. You're not the only one who went through this that day. There are other people who were greatly affected by her death. And the the first responders that responded to her were these, these men that worked with Charles. It was his station. And they played with Miranda. And they held her, and they loved on her, and they gave her candy. And, and, and they, so, I guess, to let the officer know and to his and Charles's coworkers, that I just I'm sorry too okay. that they had to suffer greatly because of Charles's selfishness. Um, I don't know. It's yeah. kind of hard for me to describe. Meet me halfway. Well, and-
0: yeah, because you're you're thinking about mm-hmm. it, right? So you know, you know. So what, I mean, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I mean, the thing is, you've got to allow yourself to continue to grieve. And at no point should you ever be told you need to get over it. Number one, grief. Telling somebody who's lost anybody or anything through trauma or tragedy, telling them to get over it. I just want to punch somebody in the face when they say that. That's not fair. Me too. Grief is (laughs) grief. Grief is grief. And we all grieve on our way in our own time and we'll release it when we're ready you know but here's here's one thing you know i i I, you you and i have so many similarities it's crazy (laughs) uh i would i would more than likely be doing the same shit too had i lost my three-year-old in that way knowing that that fire department that police officer i want them to know right do you feel like they had their support system though in their own way?
1: You know, back, back in 1999, probably they don't, I don't think that they had the support system that they deserved. And that is, I think we are so far advanced now in, in recognizing mental illness and mental health back then they were, yes, they were counseled. You have, okay, we're going to go through a few days of counseling and you're on your own basically. Mm -hmm. So no, I, at that time, they probably didn't have, they had each other, but, you know, how, you know, some people can be there, you know, they don't talk about it. They, they put it down, mm-hmm. they press it down, and they don't talk about it. And so, no, I would venture to say they did not get the support that they needed 100%.
0: Or that they chose no. to receive.
1: But yes, it's, exactly. You know, the,
0: because they and, have, like, schism and crisis intervention all over the place and in place, but it's up to us to want it and...
1: Go ahead, I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, I'm just saying that that nowadays, I think there we are organizations I can only hope and pray that they're better about recognizing the value of mental health and getting their people through trauma. Yeah. And um I think it's better, but back then I I can't say that they that they got the quality care that they needed. I'd have to um, agree. Yeah. I mean, cause that was 99. Certainly. I mean, we've evolved quite a bit over the past 23 years and as have I, and so, you know, now I'm an, a, a huge advocate. I've been speaking all over the country, sharing my story and people invite me to speak at their, their trainings for their police officers. Um, and I've been doing that for several years and And now I work for the domestic abuse resistance team in Reston, which is an amazing organization and we serve women and children in crisis and even men, Um, which is another great topic to Mm -hmm. talk about one day is how men don't talk about the fact that they can be in abusive relationships as well. Yep. That's my rabbit hole. So I'm going to pull myself out of it.
0: (laughs) Well, let me ask you this. Are you going to continue to try to reach out to those police officers and firefighters that we're on scene?
1: no I don't think so because I don't I don't want to push them they know how to find me they everyone in Bozier City knows Chris Barney is back and not everybody's mm-hmm. happy about it because I will I will talk about it I will talk about the investigator who who kept all the evidence in the suicide tape in the trunk of his car um <clears throat> I can talk about the lawsuit the lawsuit I filed and completely lost because I had an awful attorney but you know, I, I can, I can go into that. That's another story for another day, but I'm not going to, I, they know where to find me. They know how to get in touch with me because I'm very um, all over social media. Yeah. And, um, and that's how I contacted one of them was through his Facebook page. And, um, and he was kind enough to get back to me, but was refused to speak about it. And I was like, do we know they know how to find you in with group. Well, it's hard.
0: It's hard to. Number one, you got to be able to trust somebody who you're talking to, right? I mean, look at us. Absolutely. How many times did we talk before you jumped on the show? You
1: know, you've got to. <laughs> like we talked last night. We talked okay. on Zoom the other day. Yeah, I was. I needed. Yeah, I needed to know that I could trust you, and yeah. and 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 I so totally can because I think you're wonderful. But Thank you. yeah, well, I, they know how to find me, and they know. Um, And I mean, no ill will or malice. I think we have all made it to a point to where after 23 years to have an informative and loving conversation. That's really all I want.
0: Yeah. and, And it doesn't devalue your feelings by any means. I mean, you're still angry and rightfully so, you know, but be willing to explore what's under that anger. Right uh because anger is just that secondary emotion what it's like what's under that what's pushing that oh man i'm hurt i'm sad i'm this i'm that all right cool now we're getting somewhere now we're freaking getting somewhere so and i mean till the day i die i mean it's this is an ongoing process of understanding why we do what we do and um you know, I can see your passion. I can hear your passion. Most certainly hear your passion. I'm sure our listeners have too. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for going there with us or allowing us to go with you, I should say. Um, before we wrap up here, I want to ask you something because I've been, okay. I ask all the questions, right?
1: I love it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and honestly, right? In all honestly, do you feel like you're healed? And whether you are or not, I mean, there's no judgment here, but do you yeah. feel like you're, you're healed from the trauma so that you can continue to be the light for others that have not, that don't know how to do this?
1: Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I do. I, because it, you know, I've done a lot of work to get to where I am today, but both in, as maturity wise and mentally and emotionally, I've done a lot of work mm-hmm. and you can't be in a, in my position without doing that work and feeling like you can help others yeah. and, and to want to help others. So, yes, I mean, am I, will I ever be complete? No, No. Well, it is. She will always be a part of me um, no matter what. And I will always miss her and I will always grieve for her. Mm-hmm. But yes, I mean, I have my mission is to push forward, get people to listen, and to talk about domestic violence and in, in its raw and in perfect form. Because when you don't talk about the hard things, nothing changes.
0: Mm-hmm. And you provide resources as well, right?
1: Do what? You provide resources for oh, those yeah Oh, yeah. Yeah. And even with my organization with uh, the domestic abuse resistance team, you know, I, that's what I do. I'm the community advocate. And so I've got I'll go speak all over the community, not just Louisiana or the country, but plenty of resources. That's what we do. There's all kinds of information and resources out there.
0: Well, that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yes,
1: it, it is awesome. It is. So and do- I love my job. I love it. It's this is my calling, and I'm 52 years old, and I've finally made it to a place in my life where this is I'm I'm skilled enough to do this work. It's not always you,
0: you know what you want to be when you grow up now, huh? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I feel like Miranda has uh left quite an impact for so many. Um it just sucks that she she went the way she went. It's like I said, I can't yes. even put it, heart heartbreaking doesn't even define that and for by her own dad her own parent you know so someone who was
1: supposed to love and protect her he was supposed to be the one person that she could look up to to feel safe and that was her daddy and and he and she probably did you know she probably did
0: but she's let me tell you
1: yeah let me tell you this real quick little story because i just i miranda's little nursery school teacher We were talking yesterday and I'll never forget. She called me at work one day. This is right before she died. And she called me at work and said, I need you to come to the school, please. I need you to come here. And I I said, okay, I'm on my way. And Miranda had painted this picture. I think I have it, but I don't remember it. All I remember is like Regina saying, this scares me. And it was, she had painted this picture and it was, she was up here in heaven or in the other on um, piece of paper. And, and I was down here. It was just weird. And and Regina told me, she said, there's something not right here. And I said, okay, I'm going to take care of it. And then the next week she was dead. And we talked about this yesterday. And it was, she said, that's the first time that I had, that I had ever seen fear in Miranda's eyes. And see, Charles had been talking to her about them going to heaven to be together. Hmm. I was just going to so, say that.
0: Well, I retract my statement. Yeah. <laughs> I retract my statement. Well, what a shit! I know.
1: know. Yeah, I mean, no. he's an awful person, and and his family is awful. I know that his. And I'm going to say this because I can, because I don't really give a shit. But I. Well, I do. Hang on. <laughs> okay. Hang on. Did you cut me off? Hang Did on. you cut me off? No, 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 no.
0: We just, like I said, we okay. don't want to. We don't want to persecute people here. Okay. Breathe, breathe. <laughs> <laughs> you have plenty of platforms and to do it. You really do. Yes. I oh, just, yeah, I, we, do I do. it. So. I do it. And I just want to make sure we, we keep the integrity of the mission here. But most importantly, we don't deviate from your baby's story. Right. That's, Absolutely. that's the big one. Right. So I, I, mm-hmm. I feel your passion. You guys hear it? I freaking love it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I am very passionate, but I'm also very kind and I'm also I I, I have it together. Um mm-hmm. and I I love I love talking and sharing the story. And so um yeah. Thank you. Well thank you for having these. This is um this is great. This is great. It's cathartic. And I deeply appreciate it. Appreciate you so much. Of
0: course. It's very cathartic. Uh on both ends I would imagine for you, but for me, for sure. Um, so where can people find you? Mm -hmm. I want to put your, uh, your, your links, anything that, that, where people can reach you down below, if that's cool, or in the, in the, in the uh, description of the podcast.
1: Right. Well, you can reach me, um, on Facebook, of course, and Instagram, um, HK, HK Barney, um, on Instagram and, um, Miranda Faith Memorial page on Facebook and just my regular Chris Anglin Barney um, Facebook page. Also, anyone in my area can reach me at DART um, here in Ruston. And that number, I just started, so let me get my number. <laughs> get them yeah. new business cards, right? <laughs> yeah. oh, there you go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you can reach me here at DART um, at 318 318- Five one three, nine three seven three. Okay. Or at on my personal cell. You sure? Eight one three five four one three nine two seven. Okay. Um, or HK Barney at yahoo well, Shoot, there you go, um, guys. Did you get all that? <laughs> yeah, you should. that's a lot. I can be reached, you know, and I do speaking engagements all over. As a matter of fact, I'm speaking for the Attorney General here in Louisiana on April fourth and fifth at their firearm divestiture. Training and I am so excited. About That'd be that. good. That'd be real good. Yeah. So, so yeah. But anyway, the other thing I wanted to touch on too, Pam, which might be another story, is you know Charles Sally had a brother, Michael Sally, who also murdered his wife in 2014.
0: So, so if you guys want to know more about that, go on Google. <laughs> go on <laughs> yes, Google. Yes. Go on Google. Um, That's a whole nother story. Go on Google. There's, uh, there's a lot of hurt in that family, it sounds like. A lot of just madness. And uh, yeah. we we really just want to... God, we just want to let you guys know you're not alone.
1: Absolutely you're not, not alone. alone. And if you're in a domestic violence situation or relationship, just know that it doesn't always have to be physical violence. There's mental, emotional, and financial and sexual abuse that all tie into it. And And I am always available
0: to help yeah well i appreciate you staying on so uh um, thank you for having me of course well hang tight so i'm gonna say goodbye to my listeners right okay all right okay um, <sighs> i gotta be honest before i really let you go you're my second interview today and it's barely twelve y'all i'm about to go work out i, I am i am depleted i'm freaking depleted but that's what i love about this is like we go there with you we come out and it's like there's healing there's it's cathartic but damn it dude so now i'm gonna go get my therapy on here when i get off off with you Um, it's heavy it is heavy so hey listeners if you're still like sticking with us thanks for sticking with us and um go get your workout in go get a walk in go drink some water i don't want you drinking alcohol but if you do, make sure it's an old-fashioned and raise a toast to uh, this uh, episode, to this uh, mission, because it's pretty freaking cool. And uh, stay tuned because I have some really – I always say I have really cool guests, but every guest is really cool. There hasn't been one that I've been like, oh, my God, that was horrible. Um, hasn't been like that yet, and I don't see that ever happening ever because stories are amazing and we're just blessed to be a platform to share them with you guys so y'all stay tuned make sure you subscribe like share hit the notification bell if you are on youtube uh leave us a review if you like what you're hearing and we will see you soon